All right. Well, hey, Merry Christmas again. All right. Hey, my name is Tad Anderson. I'm the lead teaching pastor here at the Hub City Church, and I am so grateful to be here with you on this Christmas Eve. And uh, man, if you don't if you don't know anything about our church, like we just preach the gospel in the songs, and then the worship leader preaches the gospel to you, and then finally the pastor gets up and preaches the gospel to you again. And then we'll probably do it in the closing, too, because that's really what we're about. If you're new to uh, the Hub City Church or you're just visiting with us this morning, we're a church that exists to make disciples who believe the gospel, first and foremost, who abide in Christ and who obey uh, God's word. And so that's who we are as a church body. And so, uh, yeah, if you're interested in learning more about us, uh, you can uh, text the um, the number, or sorry, you can text the word Hub City to the number 97,000. We'd love to follow up with you and get to know you and uh, see if we'd be a good fit for you as a church home. But uh, just one more thing before I jump into the, the sermon this morning, and that, that's just to celebrate the Christmas Eve Eve outreach. It went really great yesterday. So, uh, man, thanks to all uh, who, who prepped food for that, who did so much for that. Uh, man, I think we had uh, upwards of 40 volunteers who, who jumped in on that. I just want to say a big thank you to everybody. Um, those, also those who uh, went and sang Christmas carols and, and were a part of the Crestview Manor Christmas party. I, know, I heard that that went really well, and uh, the residents really, really enjoyed that and felt so loved uh, by you guys. So thank you for all the things that you did leading up to Christmas by way of outreach. Uh, I want to say we're, we've served somewhere in, in, in the neighborhood of 250 meals uh, Yeah, between uh, yesterday, and we'll donate the rest to the Crestview Manor for their uh, Christmas dinner. So just a really great, yeah, somebody's clapping. Okay, cool. That's, that's good. I, I think it's good. So yeah, so that's, man, that's, that just continues to be um, such an important part of our church family DNA. So thanks to all who were a part of that and pitched in and uh, prepped food, like I said, and went out and shared the gospel with those uh, who needed to hear it. Well, uh, hey, this morning we are concluding our Advent series, God and Sinners Reconciled, by discussing our final Advent theme, which is joy. And this morning, uh, kids, we're so glad that you are here in service with us. Uh, and so I'm going to do my best, guys, to be relatively brief for the sake of attention spans and uh, getting more quickly to the holiday fellowship at the end. If you can sit attentively uh, through this sermon, then there will be plenty of good treats uh, to be had. If you don't sit attentively, um, your parents will probably take you out there and you'll get the treats early. I don't know. But um, <laughs> anyway, let's go ahead and, uh, let's go ahead and read together. Uh, a familiar Christmas passage from Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 8. It says, In the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you Good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angel went away from them into heaven, uh, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. 
And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Once again, God, for this beautiful Christmas Eve morning that we're having, uh, the, this joy of spending together with the, the body of Christ, God, over the next 24 hours, my prayer is simply that you would help us by your spirit to be focused on Christ and not anything else that might take attention and devotion away from Christ. Because we know that Christmas is really all about him, as we've been talking about all morning and really all month. And I pray that these next few moments together might serve as a primer of sorts for us all to be dwelling on uh, just all the amazing implications of Jesus coming incarnate in human flesh, both fully God and fully man on a rescue mission for us that only he could accomplish. Thank you, Lord, that you did accomplish it. Though you came into this broken world as a helpless infant, we know now because of your life, death, and resurrection that you will be coming again as the sovereign king. Pray that Christmas would be a time for us this year that we might find all of our hope and comfort and joy in that good news. It's in your beautiful name, Jesus, that I pray. Amen. All right. Well, I don't know about you, but uh, as a kid, one of the strangest phenomena for uh, like emotionally for me was that it felt like this long lead up to Christmas uh, and all this you know bottled up anticipation and excitement that would just build for that special day and it would finally come and just be so fun to celebrate um, and but I would just feel like it was over just so quickly it's like you know, we hardly get to experience it before suddenly it was, you know, 365 days away all over again. And uh, kids, as an adult, I hate to break it to you, but it gets worse because uh, the lead up stops feeling so long and then Christmas just kind of sneaks up on you and it feels like it's gone just as fast. So I hope that you have plans uh, to go home and uh, soak it up tonight with your families. Uh, enjoy your, your normal family traditions, make some cookies together, maybe watch a movie, spend some time reading the Christmas story in your Bible and talking about the real meaning of Christmas together, savoring uh, the precious doctrine of the incarnation, which is just a fancy word that means Jesus came fully God and fully human to be our perfect Savior. Because uh, today is Christmas Eve. And on Christmas Eve, yay! Yes! That's the best response to a sermon I've ever gotten, I think. So. <laughs> Today is Christmas Eve, and on Christmas Eve, here's the odd truth, okay? Christmas is simultaneously almost here and almost over at the same time, right? But uh, while that used to... Um, make me feel kind of sad. Can I tell you something I've learned that's made me feel a lot better about it? Here it is. Christmas is not really about just Christmas. It's about something bigger that will transcend this season and even this life. Good news of great joy. 
in Jesus. This is what Christmas is all about. It's all about the joy that we can have in the good news of Jesus's arrival, just like uh, the angels told and, and sang to the shepherds in Luke chapter 2. So here's what I want to do in the rest of our time together now. I want to give you four simple truths about God that we can draw from the arrival of Jesus that if we'll spend some time thinking about and meditating on will give us great joy um, that will last long after you rip open all your presents tomorrow, okay? So here's, here's the first one, okay? God is gracious. God is gracious. Do you know what grace is? Most people define grace as unmerited favor, but we really don't talk like that, do we? Uh, maybe a better modern definition of grace would be undeserved good, because to merit something would be to earn something, like you earn uh, a trophy when your sports team wins the championship, or uh, when people earn money because they work a job. But you see, the Bible tells us that this is not how God distributes favor among people. Favor just means good things, okay? And God gives good things to people who don't deserve it. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? I think it's amazing. The Bible tells us that really no one is good except God. And that's true if we're honest, isn't it? Yeah, we all do things sometimes that we know we shouldn't. Maybe we tell a lie to try and not get in trouble, or maybe we talk to someone in a way that's not very kind, or maybe we choose not to do the things that we know we should do, that our parents told us to do, or our teachers told us to do, maybe, or maybe this, maybe this, maybe we feel jealous of things other people have, and so we think ugly thoughts about those people. The Bible says all of these things are sin. They're, they're bad. They're disobedient to the way that God would have us to live. And the Bible says that when people sin, which we all do because we're sinners, we don't deserve good things. We actually deserve to be punished. And this is scary. The Bible says that the punishment for sin is death. We deserve to die for how we go about our lives, doing wrong things and disobeying God a lot. That's really bad news, isn't it? Is there anybody in here who thinks they're perfect and they don't ever sin? No. Well, if you know, if you know that you do wrong things, bad things, sinful things, and that you're a sinner, then Christmas should be one of your favorite holidays because it's all about how God chose in the most amazing way to give the best possible thing to people who really did not deserve it. When God gave us the gift of his son, Jesus, that was grace. That was grace. And so maybe you're wondering, Tad, you said Christmas is about joy, and now we're talking about grace. But here's the connection, friends. We can have joy on Christmas and every day because God gave us grace when he gave us the amazing gift of his son. 
Okay. You see, by, by giving us Jesus, God was giving us the way that we could be saved from our sin. Jesus is the way that even as people who have not been perfectly good and who have not deserved good things, that he could give us the best possible thing that we could ever have, which is a relationship with him forever. The Bible says that as sinners, without Jesus, we were all enemies of God. But with Jesus, with Jesus, if we'll admit that we're sinners who need a Savior and trust Jesus to save us, then we can go from being enemies of God to being friends of God. That's amazing grace, isn't it? That's the first place our joy should come from on Christmas. C.S. Lewis, the author who wrote The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, if you're familiar with that, he was a Christian, and he also said this. He says, uh, it's just no good asking God to make us happy in our own way without bothering with religion. God cannot give us a happiness and peace apart from himself because it's not there. There is no such thing. He's saying, if you want true, lasting joy, the only way to have it is to have a right relationship with God. So this is why God sent Jesus, so that we could have him and have the transcendent joy of being made right with him. When, that's a big word. When joy is transcendent, that means we can have it no matter what else is going on in our lives. It surpasses seasons and circumstances. And so uh, here's the thing. On Christmas, as most of us experience a lot of good things all at once, good gifts, anybody anticipating some good gifts, good food, I'm anticipating that, good time with our family, here's what we should remember, okay? James 1.17 says, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. We should remember that everything good that we have has come from God, who gives good things to people who do not deserve it. God is gracious. Maybe you and your family should pray this prayer tonight or tomorrow. I think this is a good one from Psalm 16. Psalm 16, verse 2, the psalmist says this. He says, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As you pray that prayer, Give thanks to the Lord that, sure, he's given you a lot of good things, but most of all, he's given you the best thing possible, the thing you really needed. He's given you himself and Jesus. That's the first thing. Here's the second thing. God is gracious. God is also merciful. Here's how I explain mercy to my kids. If grace is when we're given good things that we don't deserve, Mercy is when we're not given the bad things that we do deserve. Okay, that's the difference, grace and mercy. A while back, uh, I had a Sunday morning where I didn't have to preach, and so I decided to stop by Publix for some gift cards that we needed for our volunteers. And as I was driving from Publix to the church building, I, I turned off the main road 
and I went down a little back road that bypasses all those stoplights in the middle of town, I made a mistake. Uh, <laughs> I didn't slow down enough to the speed limit of that back road, and as I was pulling up to the stop sign, I looked in front of me, and there on the side of the road was a police officer clocking my speed. <laughs> so here I am, a pastor getting pulled over at 8.30 a.m. on Sunday morning on my way to church. And uh, yeah, that's embarrassing. To make this all more embarrassing, I had to pull over in the First Baptist Church parking lot (laughs) as their members are all arriving and walking by me to their church service. Uh, <laughs> ooh, man, I will always remember that one. Well, I was very apologetic, obviously, to the police officer. Explained I was on my way to church and in a hurry. I didn't realize I was speeding. And I hadn't slowed down on that road there. And so, uh, anyway, he comes back from running my license and registration, and uh, he let me off with a warning. He told me that I had used up all the mercy that he had to give that day. <laughs> Yeah, I deserved a ticket. But he didn't give me the bad thing I deserved. That's mercy. That's mercy. And Christmas is about how merciful God is. Instead of punishing us for our sin, which he had every right to do, he sent us his son Jesus as a baby who would grow up to become the means of our unending mercy. See, when that police officer let me go without a ticket, um, no one else had to get the ticket that I deserved. But with our sin, because God is a perfectly just judge, someone had to pay the price for our wrongs. And Jesus is the one who would pay that unimaginable price. He would pay it when he grew up on the cross. Jesus died on the cross in our place and took our punishment on himself so that we could receive God's mercy. Also, unlike the police officer, God's mercy never runs out. When Jesus died for our sin, he paid for it all. Every sin we've ever sinned in the past and every sin we'll ever sin in the future. The Bible says that God took our record of sin debt, put it all on Jesus, and nailed it to the cross so that we could be totally forgiven once and for all. Yeah. Psalm 103 says, God does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions. That's our sins from us. If you ask me, that's something to be joyful about (laughs) this Christmas. And again, every day that we wake up above ground, as they say, right? Every breath we take is an extension of God's mercy. It's another moment enjoying good things that we don't deserve instead of the bad things that we do, all because Jesus came. Okay, just two more things. 
that God is, and then we'll wrap it up. God is gracious, God is merciful, and God is glorious. I love the story of the angels coming to the shepherds in Luke 2 because something you should know uh, about the shepherds in the time frame of the Bible, right? They don't look like the they didn't look like the little people shepherds like in your little you know cute manger scene that you have. Okay, um, shepherds. How do I say this in the time? Shepherds were shady. Okay, um, they were sketchy. People didn't like shepherds. They were looked down upon and viewed as dirty and untrustworthy. And for some reason. When God announced his birth, the birth of his son, who would be the savior of the world, he didn't announce it to the richest people first, or the most powerful people first, or the most influential people first. Actually, the exact opposite. God announced the birth of Jesus first to some unnamed shepherds. And that's not the only unusual thing about that night. The other unusual thing to me is that God saw to it that his, his son was not born in a nice, clean bed somewhere, safe and comfortable. He was born in a barn where the animals were kept. And he was laid not in a sweet little crib, but the angel said Jesus was laid in a manger. That's an animal feeding trough for the horses and the cows and all the animals eat out of that. And they put Jesus in that. And isn't it interesting that the minute the angel told the shepherds that baby Jesus was lying in this dirty old manger, the minute they say that, the angel chorus appears singing that very moment. Go back to the verse. You'll see it right then. Glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace among those with whom he is pleased. Strange. The king of heaven born in one of the dirtiest places on earth and the angels of heaven singing a message of God's peace to the last people anyone would expect God to be pleased with. Why do you think that was? I'll tell you what I think. I think it's because... God gets a peculiar glory from coming humbly in the form of sinful flesh to rescue sinful people. You see, in every other world religion, every other God is one who must be climbed up to, reached by a life of good works. But Jesus, who is the true God, he comes down to us. He comes down to us, born for us, to live for us, and even as we already said, to die for us. And while you all look really nice and clean and your Christmas Eve attire, none of us are clean spiritually. There's no clean person in this room spiritually. Inside our hearts, we're dirty like those shepherds. But praise be to God. He let Jesus be born in a manger and sent his birth announcement to shepherds because he's glorified by coming down into this dirty world to bring a message of hope to dirty people. A message that 
he can be pleased even with us. Not because of us, but because of Jesus, who by faith alone can make us clean. Romans 5, 1 and 2, that's why Romans says this. Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we've also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. So God is gracious, merciful, glorious, and last but not least, God is faithful. You know, before you uh, get to the New Testament narrative of Jesus' birth in Luke 2, it'd be, it would be tough to overstate how cram-packed the Old Testament is with foreshadowing of the coming Jesus. Right? Some scholars have notated upwards of four to 600 references to the Messiah that was to come and save his people. Others have notated that Jesus in his birth, life, death, and resurrection fulfilled upwards of 300 prophecies. I don't have the time or the ability to detail all of those, but as we move toward the conclusion of this message, let me just pinpoint a few Old Testament foreshadowings of Jesus. First of all, uh, many of the people of the Old Testament point to Jesus. Let's start with Adam. Adam was the first man who sinned, thus plunging all of mankind into sin. Jesus was the first and only man to never sin and thus offer mankind a way of salvation. Adam went up a tree in disobedience to God and came down to deliver all men to death. Jesus was nailed to a tree in obedience to God and came down to deliver men from the penalty of death. So Jesus was the greater Adam. How about Isaac? Isaac was a long-awaited son who made the way for Abraham to father a nation, but Jesus was the long-awaited son of God who made the way for Abraham to be the father of many nations. Isaac carried the wood for his father's sacrifice, but was saved from death when they found a ram caught in a thicket. Jesus carried the wood for his father's sacrifice and saved us all from death by becoming the ram caught in a thicket. Jesus is the greater Isaac. What about Moses? Moses was the spokesman for God who delivered his people from Egypt and gave them the law. Jesus is the spokesman for God who delivers his people from death by fulfilling the law. Moses wandered with God's people in the desert for 40 years and proved that he could not keep himself from sin or deliver them into the promised land. Jesus, on the other hand, fasted in the desert for 40 days and 40 nights to show his ability to never sin, and to deliver his people to the promise of eternal life. Jesus was the greater Moses. What about David? Everyone loves David. David was an earthly king after God's heart who proved to be imperfect and sinful. Jesus is the eternal king after God's heart who proved to be perfectly sinless. David was a good man who couldn't remain faithful to his bride. Jesus is the God-man who always remains faithful and true to his bride, the church. Jesus is the greater David. Then there was Jonah. Jonah was a graceless prophet who disobeyed God and ran away from a difficult situation, difficult mission. Jesus is the grace-filled prophet who obeyed God and completed the most difficult mission. 
Jonah spent three days in the belly of a whale because he was unwilling to take the gospel to sinful people out of his fear and judgment. Jesus spent three days in the belly of a tomb because he was perfectly willing to deliver the gospel to all sinful people out of his love and grace. Jesus is a much greater Jonah. So many of the people we read about in the Old Testament point to Jesus. Those are just five, but we could go on. Uh, I won't do that. Because also, all of the Old Testament promises point to Jesus. In Genesis 3, God promises that the offspring of Eve would crush the head of Satan, but Satan would bruise his heel. We see that on the cross, where Jesus lays down his life temporarily, but where sin and death are decimated, and Satan loses the ability to accuse and condemn condemn God's people through their sin. Also, God promises Noah that regardless of the sinful nature of man, he will never flood the earth again and destroy all living things. We see in Romans the reason God is able to make that promise is because in his divine forbearance, he passed over former sins that were committed prior to Jesus' death. Wow. God promised to bless all the nations through Abraham and make him the father of many nations. Ultimately, this was not fulfilled until Jesus died on the cross and was raised, allowing anyone from any nation to believe in him for the forgiveness of their sins. Then God promises Moses that if people will just obey his law, he will make them a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. This was a conditional promise. As we've already established, God's people immediately proved to be incapable of holding up their end of these conditions, but God is still able to keep the promise to anyone who trusts in Jesus. (laughs) I've got more. I'm going to skip over those just to say this. People in the Old Testament point to Jesus. The covenants and promises of the Old Testament point to Jesus. And lastly, the prophecies of the Old Testament point to Jesus. I Isaiah predicts that the Messiah would be a descendant of David. Daniel predicts he would come after the Jews' return from exile, but before the Roman destruction of Jerusalem. Micah predicts that he would be born in Bethlehem. Isaiah predicts he would be born of a virgin. Zechariah predicts that he would ride into Jerusalem on a donkey. Isaiah details with incredible accuracies, we just read last week, how Jesus would be killed as the perfect atoning sacrifice for his people's sin. These are all predictions about who Jesus would be and how he would arrive made hundreds of years before his birth. (laughs) And so I say, on Christmas, as we consider the birth of Jesus, it's helpful to think about all that led up to that critical moment. If we'll do this, I think we'll find great joy in the truth of God's ongoing faithfulness to keep his promises. Most simply articulated by 2 Corinthians 1 that says, For all the promises of God find their yes in him, that is, Jesus. You see, because if God was faithful to send Jesus the first time, to deal with our sin, he will certainly be faithful to send Jesus the final time to make good on his promise of eternal life to all who will trust him. So before I get to this last point, 
I echo what Josh said. Will you trust him? Will you trust Jesus today, this Christmas and for the rest of your life? I hope these truths that I just shared with you will help you to rejoice, not just tomorrow on Christmas, but even after Christmas is over. Because Christmas is not really just about Christmas. It's about something more that transcends this season and even this life. Good news of great joy in Jesus. He is gracious, he is merciful, he is glorious, and he is faithful. Let's pray. Our Father, God, we, we thank you once again for the gospel. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the Advent season, God, where we get to have weeks to tease apart and consider all of the wonderful truths of the incarnation of Christ. Father, I pray that we wouldn't stop now, that we wouldn't just do this in a church service, but when we go home from here, that we would lead our families together to consider the incarnation of Christ, that we would talk about how gracious you are, God, how, how many good things you've given us, but most of all, how you were so good to send your son to us and how you were merciful, that you did not repay us for our sin, but you had Jesus take the punishment for our sin. God, this is what Christmas is about. This is what Advent's about. We know that. I pray we would really make it about that in our lives. We love you, Lord. Thank you for Advent. Thank you for Christmas. It's in Jesus' beautiful name we pray. Amen.